Hello, thank you for listening to this podcast. I thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to be a supporter of this podcast and uh, if this is of benefit to you, please go to patreon.com slash timothyyap. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to have your support. It's patreon.com slash timothyyap. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you and God bless you. Father, what a joy it is to come before your presence once again to ponder upon your holy words. Father, as we come in your presence to hear from your Son, Father, I pray that you will humble our hearts. May our hearts be open towards you. May our desires be for you. May our hearts tilt towards listening to what your Spirit has to say through your infallible word. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the opportunity that we can hear your word afresh this morning. So guard our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. We have heard about graveyards for human beings, but do you know that there is a graveyard for planes? Ever since COVID started, international travel has been severely and drastically affected. Last week, due to the dearth of international travel, Qantas, the Australian Airlines, has just retired or said farewell to its last Boeing 747. Qantas Boeing 747 has carried over a qu- uh, 250 million people for the last half of the century of service. It's carried important people, including Queen Elizabeth II and every Australian Olympic team ever since 1984. However, due to the pandemic and the lack of international travels, Qantas had decided to retire its last Boeing 747 airplane. So Qantas decided to park its, uh, its many airplanes at the Mojave uh, Desert in California. It's not only just Qantas, but other airlines like the British Airways, Singapore Airlines and others have also parked their planes there in the desert in California. The desert is called the best uh, place to park uh, unused or uh, not used uh, aeroplanes because of the dryness. Many experts believe that the dryness of the desert will prevent the airplanes from rusting. So if you go to the desert in California right now, you will see hundreds and hundreds of planes all parked there. Experts call it the graveyard of uh, international travels. And hopefully um, there is hope that international travels will continue into 2023. However, aeroplanes are meant to fly. Even in the dry desert, Many planes parked there are already falling apart. Some of the planes have to be dismantled and the different parts sold out um, in order to maintain the, the many planes parked there. Because airplanes are created to fly. And when they are not flying, they fall apart. In the same way, God has created us with eyes to see Him. And once our eyes are not on God Himself, our lives fall apart. Our eyes are made in such a way that they are to be fixed on Jesus. 
And this is what is getting at us here in 1 Samuel chapter 28. This week and next week, we will be looking at 1 Samuel 28. And one of the main lessons out of 1 Samuel 28 is this, that God has created us to see Him. And once when our eyes are not on Him, our lives fall apart. I really like 1 Samuel chapter 28. Even as a child, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's a passage that would make a great horror movie. It happens at night, deep and quiet, when it's all completely dark. And it features a witch. It features darkness. It features a witch calling out a ghost of a dead prophet. Can you get scarier than that? So even as a child, I was always very fascinated by 1 Samuel chapter 28. So we're going to spend two weeks just looking at this very strange passage by itself. So let's walk through the passage. The story begins on the night before Saul and his sons were killed at the battlefront. It was a very desperate situation because this was the eve before Saul was killed. And Saul knew that he was no match for the Philistines, which was marching to fight against him. Saul knew that his, his uh, uh, problems were great and that his life was perhaps coming to an end. So Saul was desperate in this uh, very instance in his life. But Saul also had some very important eye issues. Because if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 4, what do we read there? If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to verse 4 of 1 Samuel 28. God's word reads, the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistines' army, he was afraid and terror filled his heart. The Bible tells us here, verse 5, that when Saul saw, his eyes were fixated on what? Not on God, but on the Philistine army and what happens things fall apart. He was afraid. And to emphasize the fear in Saul's heart, the Bible tells us that terror filled his heart. Reminds us of uh, when the Israelites uh, first saw Goliath. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 24. When they first saw Goliath, they were afraid. Now it's Saul seeing the Philistines and he was afraid. Instead of seeing God, Saul saw the Philistines and he was afraid. Instead of seeking God right now, Saul decided to see Samuel, the prophet. But there was a big problem. Because by the time of 1 Samuel 28, the prophet Samuel had died. But Saul had a brilliant plan. He decided to, he decided to go to see a witch. So that the witch could call up the dead spirit of Samuel. So let's read in verse uh, uh, 6 of 2 Samuel 28. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or the prophets. So Samuel then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so that I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they replied. Seeking the spirit of the dead may sound very strange, especially to our modern Western societies. 
but it's not un- uncommon in many other parts of the world. I remember when I was growing up in Singapore, we see that all the time. Uh, some people, when they're desperate to talk to their dead relatives, especially when your mom has just passed away and it's her birthday coming up, or your grandfather has passed away and it's their anniversary, many people will invite some of these gurus to come. Usually it's an Indian guru they will invite to come to their house. And, uh, and the Indian guru will usually call out the spirit of your grandfather, your mother, or whatever. And to prove that he can speak to the dead, the guru will, uh, will do lots of kinds of prayers for the, for, for, the, for the spirit of your grandmother to inhabit his body. And he would usually do that by dancing, by chanting, by screaming, by shouting. And to prove that the spirit of your grandfather or your mother has, uh, has uh, uh, possessed him. And to prove that he is real, sometimes he will perform some very bizarre acts. Like walking on burning coals and not being hurt or piercing his own tongue and not feeling pained. And that's when you know that the spirit of your grandmother has possessed him and then you can ask questions. So Saul is well, doing something like that here, calling out the dead. And the Bible tells us in verse 8, So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. At night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, Saul said. And bring up for me the one I named. When Saul reached the house of the witch in the middle of the night, he commands her to bring out who? The prophet Samuel. Then the woman answered, Whom shall I bring for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? It's very interesting that the word see appears twice here in this passage. The first time is when Saul saw the Philistines and the word see again appears here in verse 13 when the woman conjures up the spirit of Samuel and Saul asks again, what do you see? It is very interesting that Saul cannot see anything spiritual at this juncture in his life. Why? Over the course of 1 Samuel, to be reading 1 Samuel carefully, you realize that Saul has this aversion of seeking God. He refused to seek after God. He always acted on his own judgment. He always acted in his own ways. And right now, at his most critical time in his life, he cannot see anything spiritual. He has to ask the woman, what do you see? There is a blindness that Saul is suffering at the end of his life. And that blindness is the cause of the fear in Saul's heart. Notice that the word fear appears many times here in this chapter. It begins with the chapter... 1 Samuel chapter 28 begins with the, with the fear of God and it closes again at verse 20 with the fear of God, the fear of the words of Samuel plaguing Saul. Once when our eyes cannot see God, things fall apart. 
And when our eyes are on the Philistines, on our problems, on our gods, on the things that haunt us, that's when fear overwhelms. I was hearing an interview with um, Amy Tan recently. Amy Tan is one of the most popular American Asian writers of all time. Her novel, The Joy Luck Club, is a mandatory textbook that's read across many schools these days in the US. When her first novel, The Joy Luck Club, was released, it topped not only the New York's, uh, New, uh, the New York's bestsellers list, but stayed on the list for about 10 months. And within those months, the book sold like hotcakes. It sold over a quarter million copies within a few months. If you were Amy Tan, you would be happy. But in, interview, but in the interview, she said she was miserable. Because when the book was released, her eyes was always on, fixated on the numbers. How many copies did the book sell last week? How many book copies does it sell this week? And she was always fixated on numbers. And because the pressure was so great that she had to follow up with another hit seller, she got very upset. She got very miserable and fear filled her heart because uh, she was afraid that she would not match up the quality and uh, the selling power of her first book. She could not sleep. And she told, she said in this interview that hives broke out all over her body. She could not sleep for days. And when she could sleep, she was grinding her teeth. She was grinding her teeth so badly that she worn out three, three of her own teeth. And she developed back problems and she developed stress problems. Why? Because her eyes were on the numbers. And when her eyes are on the numbers, fear overwhelms that she cannot even enjoy the success she was having and this very chaotic moment in Saul's life Saul's eyes was always on the Philistines that he could not even see anything spiritual and he was filled with such fear but what is amazing is that although Saul was blind but not the medium not the witch there are two things that the medium sees. Because Saul was asking, what do you see? The first thing that the medium sees is who Saul really is. You, you need, we've just read here in the text that when Saul came to see the witch, he's disguised himself. But yet the woman has eyes to see through Saul's disguise. Then the woman asked, Verse 11, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out the top of the voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. She was more perceptive than Saul himself. She could see through Saul's disguise. But secondly, more importantly, she could see Samuel. What did she see about Samuel? So Saul asked, verse 13, like all of us, when the, she says, I'm bringing up the spirit of Samuel. So what does, how does Paul resp Saul respond? What does he look like? Verse 13. And the medium responds, an old man wearing a robe is coming 
up. Let's pause here for a moment. What did she see? What did the witch see? An old man wearing a robe. Is this significant? Is this significant? In the book of Samuel, of course it is significant. This whole motif of clothing is very significant in the book of Samuel. It is very interesting that what she saw is an old man wearing a robe. In the book of Samuel, in 1 Samuel, remember that clothing has a very important symbolism. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when Saul disobeyed God when, uh, by sparing King Agag and uh, taking up his choice animals when he was supposed to, to kill off all the Amalekites, Saul spared the king and took some of the choice animals. And because Saul disobeyed God by not killing all the Amalekites, Samuel the prophet confronts Saul and tells Saul that God has rejected Saul as the king of Israel. And as Samuel was trying to walk away of delivering that message, Saul grabs Saul of Samuel. And what happens? He rips Samuel's robe apart as he pleads for mercy. And as the fabric tears, Samuel takes it as a symbol that the kingdom has been torn away from Saul. That the, that the, 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 the torn robe was a symbol that the kingdom has been ripped, taken away from Saul. So in the book of Samuel, especially in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the robe, therefore, is a symbol of power. So it's very interesting that when the woman sees Samuel coming up from the dead, the first thing that she noticed is that Samuel was wearing a robe. What does this have to say about Samuel? That even after Samuel died, he still has that power. His words still remain. His words of condemnation against Saul still stands. And how do I know that? The next few verses will confirm that. So after Samuel has been called over the dead, Samuel speaks to Saul, why do you, this is verse 16, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and has now become your enemy? The Lord has done what he has predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and have given it to one of your neighbors, to David, because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. The Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel into uh, and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of of the Philistines. What Samuel here is saying here is exactly what he has already said to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. His words of condemnation to Saul has not changed. Even after death, the words of Samuel still has power. 
just as he still wears the robe, he stills as the power, he stills as the final say, and even in death, Saul has no way that he could manipulate Samuel, there's no way he can manipulate the word of God. God's word still stands, regardless of how you even seek it. What does this have to say to us? There is no point trying to go around God to get our way. God's way always prevails. Saul thinks that he's smart enough that he could manipulate God and God could be manipulated by seeking a medium, by seeking a witch to change God's mind, to change the fate of the nation around. But Saul could not do that. He could not change God's word, not even by calling up the spirit of Samuel. God's word that has been spoken in 1 Samuel 15 remains. What does this have to say to us? It reminds us that there is no way we can manipulate God unless we look to God and His Word, there will always be fear that will come to us. And once when we think that we can find ways of trying to change God's plans, we can't do that. Even if God's Word sounds silly, it will still come true. Many of us refuse to look to God in times when times are difficult. And we, because God's word seems so silly, to wait upon Him, to trust in Him, those sound so silly. We can do much better than that. We are, we are much cleverer than God. So we do. We work our ways around God. We think that we can seek friends. We can have our own devices to manipulate God, to make ourselves a better future, to change our lives the way we want. But ultimately, the one who still wears the robe is God. His word never changes. And His word is what will prevail. A story, a true story was once told about a Puerto Rican uh, um, lady who doesn't speak much English. But yet one day she felt very convicted by God that she should serve God in his church. So she didn't know how she could serve God since she doesn't speak much English. So she came to her pastor one day and said to her pastor, God has spoken to her and laid upon her heart that she should serve him. And the pastor looked at her and knew that she spoke very little English. There was nothing that she could do much. So the pastor thought about a plan and says to her, We have a church bus that runs every Sunday. We usually pick up children from the neighborhood, from the very rough part of town. And we would take them to church. And after church, we would take them back through the bus and then to their homes. So why don't you take the bus with these children and just love the children? Because they come from very rough backgrounds, just love them. 
So the lady felt very convicted and she says, Yes, God has told me to serve and I will serve. But as she got on the bus, the children were usually very rowdy and would not listen to her. They even laughed at her, at her accent whenever she tries to speak. But she always says one phrase, one sentence to all the children. And she keeps repeating herself again and again. And the phrase that she says to the children is, I love you and Jesus loves you. Those were the only simple words she knows. And she says that to the children week after week, Sunday after Sunday. Most of the children paid no attention to her. But one particular Sunday, as she was driving these kids home, she was on this bus driving the kids home. She says, I love you and Jesus loves you. And there was a very young uh, little boy who turned around and, 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 uh, and stammered. And, she, and he looked at her and said, I love you too. Then he put his arms around her and gave her a big hug. That was 2.30 on the Sunday afternoon. At 6.30 on that afternoon, four hours later, the boy was found dead. And his body was thrown into a bag and disposed in the garbage bin. The very last words that the little boy heard was from this Puerto Rican woman who said to him, I love you and Jesus loves you. Those were the last words that little boy heard. God used this Puerto Rican woman to speak his words. And God laid upon this Puerto Rican woman the burden of his word in her heart. And to many people, it sounds silly to look to God and to look to God's word. But it's not silly for that little boy who was trashed to death. And the last thing he heard was that Jesus loves him. God has a way of making his words come true. Do not ridicule him. Do not think light of his words. Do not try to manipulate him by seeking other means to overthrow his word. That was what Saul did. Because his words will still come true and our means will ultimately be silly. Let's wait upon God and let's not ridicule him. Let's have eyes fixed on Jesus. Father, as we come to you this morning with our hearts opened before you, Father, we thank you that you still speak today. And many of us are like Saul in his last night, when he was afraid, filled with the darkness of fear enveloping his entire life. Father, he looked to the Philistines. 
He looked for ways to manipulate the situation to his advantage. But ultimately, they all failed him. Father, we look to you. We look to you instead. And look to your word to save us. Look to Jesus. Father, our eyes are on you. In the darkness of our own moments, Father, we look to Jesus. We look to His Word. Help us not to think of Your Word as silly. That we are cleverer than Your words. That we have ways much sophisticated than trusting in Jesus. Forgive us for all that pride. Because they will all come to nothing. Your words will still prevail. Fix our eyes on Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.